Welcome to the Grove Community Church Worship Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. Here's this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. The first time that I held Bennett and Morgan as babies, there was instant connection. And if you're a parent, you know that. There's something that is powerful about that moment. Sarah, that's why you fight so hard for babies. And with both of our kids, you got to know exactly what they needed by their cry, right? You could distinguish the cries. That's the hungry cry. That's the poopy cry. Laura! Bennett's crying. And let me just tell you something. This is, has nothing to do with where this is going. But Bennett, that poopy cry, oh my gosh. When he cried that, you didn't know what you were going to find. Let me just say, that kid was talented in that area. Like he could fill not only his diaper up, but his onesie up. Multiple times, you go to change that diaper, and the onesie is like flowing over. Laura, you kid. But if you're a parent, you know what it's like to be that intimate, that connected to your child and their needs. And as your, as your child gets older, you can tell by the tone of their voice. You can tell by the, the tone of their whine. You can tell, you know, all of that. You, you just know you're a kid. There's something intimate about knowing your child. And, and if you're married, hopefully you have that connection with your spouse, that, that you know them. Like, Laura can give me a look that I just know, right? She can look at me a certain way, and I'm like, okay, I'm good. Yes, ma'am. Some of you guys know that look, right? <laughs> Others of you, others of you uh, know the tone or, or just the attitude, the, the look, the body language. When you're connected with someone that deeply and that closely, you just know them. You just know them. There's something intimate about those intimate relationships. And God created us for that. He created us for intimate relationships. Now, here's what's crazy. And maybe even a little sad, I don't know, probably not. But Lincoln, our Aussie doodle, I know his barks. I mean, seriously. I can be in the back room, which is my office, and he can bark, and I'm like, oh, there's a dog out there. Or he can bark, and I'm like, male person. The male just dropped off. Hey, Mel's here. I know when Miss Becky pulls up. I mean, seriously. I know when Becky or my parents or Steve and Nancy pull up. I mean, there are certain people that when they pull up, he has a certain yip to his voice. When Bennett or Morgan pull up from having been away, it's a whole different bark. There is something about that, and, and, and I know him that deeply. But here's what's crazy. Last week, I wasn't here, 
because my back went out when I was, man, I was picking up 400 pounds. Actually, no. I bent over to tie my shoe. And my, and my, my back just, I couldn't, I couldn't straighten up. And I was in there going, because if you've ever had that, I mean, can I get a witness on this? You just say, that's, that's the noise you make. It's like, like nothing's coming out, but Laura thought I was having a heart attack. She came in like, what's wrong with you? But Lincoln, my Aussie doodle. He was the most concerned, like Laura was less concerned than the dog. But he came in and he was there, and the rest of the day, he sat next to me. And he put his head in my lap, and he nuzzled up to me. He was so concerned. I mean, the look in his eyes, and if you've never met my dog, Lincoln the Aussie Doodle, he has human eyes, which at first is really creepy, but then it's kind of cool. And he was just looking at me like, I mean, seriously, like, Dad, are you okay? That's the kind of relationship I have with my dog. I wish I was that in tune with God. Isn't that sad? I mean, seriously. There are days that I feel like I'm more connected to a dog than I am to my God. I have a closer connection at times with my dog, with my children, with my spouse than I do with the God who created me and who loves me. Now, I know those are good things. My relationship with Laura and with, and with the kids, those are special. And that's what God created us for and intended us to have. But if that's all we have, we're missing out on the most important relationship, right? Because I can't be who I need to be for the kids or for Laura or even for Lincoln if I'm not in right relationship with God. And so how often in my life, and I'm just saying this out loud, guys, and, and I don't know, maybe you're like, oh gosh, Todd, you're, you're messed up because that's not me at all because I'm totally connected with God all the time. Today we're going to look at a passage that we were going to look at last week, and it's in Luke 2, verses 25 through 35. It's the story of Simeon. Here's a man that shows up in 10 verses in Scripture. 10 verses. We don't know a whole lot about Simeon other than what these, I mean, the only thing we know about him are these 10 verses. And it moves through his story rather quickly. And he is... He is placed in this, in this section of the story by God and by the author, Luke, I think for a very specific reason. And we're going to look at that today. This, this man who's mentioned nowhere else shows up. And his name, by the way, Simeon means God who hears. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. I want to stop here. So we're introduced to this man. This is right after Jesus 
uh, the story of Jesus' dedication and his circumcision. Now, and this is emphatic, now, there was a man in Jerusalem, he was in the right place, whose name was Simeon, meant that he had been seeking after and asking questions of God. And this man was both righteous and devout, and that word for devout can actually mean cautious or alert. So this is a man who is devout, whose faith is such that he is constantly looking and alert. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, this word for consolation is interesting. It has all sorts of overtones about the kingdom of God and about when the kingdom of God was going to come. So the consolation of Israel was the provision of Israel. He was waiting for the one that was coming as the provision of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit was upon him. That was there is, uh, is, is a verb that means an ongoing action. Think about that for a second. So what do we know about him from this one verse? Number one, he was in Jerusalem. He was at the right place. We know that his name means to ask of God or to, uh, or to wait for God, and, th- and that he was devout and that he was righteous, and that part of being devout means to be cautious and, and alert. <clears throat> and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the one who was going to be provided by God. And all of this, by the way, let me say, all of this ties back to Isaiah 40 through 66. So everything in this, in this part of Scripture, these 10 verses, is deeply connected to Isaiah 40 through 66, which is the prophecy about the servant Lord who was coming. And the last thing we know about him is that the Holy Spirit was on him. It was this ongoing action of being with him. That's a lot we can learn from one verse, but the story goes on. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So not only was the Spirit on him that day, not only was he in the right place, not only was he looking for God's movement in the world around him, he was looking for any ripple, any sign that God had shown up, anything that gave a hint that God was moving. He was very attuned to the work and the presence of God. Not only that, but it had been revealed to him at some time in the past, because this is now past tense, it had been revealed to him that the, by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms and he blessed God. Well, let's go back to this because this is very interesting. So what prompted him to be in the temple at that time that day? Verse 27, not rhetorical. What prompted him? The Holy Spirit. This is now the third mention of the Holy Spirit in connection with Simeon. You haven't missed that, have you? Isn't that interesting? It's the third complete Trinitarian mention of the Holy Spirit with this man Simeon. And he shows up in the temple at just the precise time 
that the parents brought Jesus in. And he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. This version is not a great version of what happens. He didn't take Jesus. Does anybody have a different wording in your Bible other than took? So this is actually a middle verb. And you're like, okay, whatever, dude. A middle verb means that the subject doesn't act, but receives the action, but also plays part of the action. So a middle verb isn't a passive verb in that, it, so a passive wor- verb would be, she thrust Jesus into his arms. A, an active verb would be, he took Jesus, which is how this is translated. But it's a middle verb, which means he receives So at this moment, he shows up. Get this picture. He's in the temple, and he's in the area of the temple where, only, uh, where women were only allowed in certain areas of the temple. And the family comes in to do what they're supposed to do for Jesus because he was a Jewish boy, and it was at the temple. <clears throat> and at just the right time, they come in, and the mom sees Simeon, and Simeon, Simeon sees the baby, and he knows. And he reaches out. And he receives the baby Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful picture? He didn't take it. He didn't say, give me that baby. He received it. Now, we've got some recent grandparents in here. When you show up and you come to see Jonas, do you go, give me that baby? Yeah, that's what I figured, right? (laughs) But, but receiving Jonas is, is, is not necessarily like that. It's like uh, the last time y'all were here at church, and you came up, and you had him, and I was like, oh, man, you know, and, and basically at the same time, y'all were handing him over as I was reaching out. I was like, baby. That's the picture here. It's this delicate receiving of this beautiful baby. And then he blessed God. How did he bless God? By saying this. Now, remember, what has been motivating and moving him all along? The Holy Spirit. So you've got to assume that it's in the Holy Spirit that he speaks these words. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word or your promise. Now, this word for depart, though, doesn't mean just to leave. This could be a euphemism for death. Because we were told, remember, just to, in, in, that, that the Holy Spirit had told him, you would not die until you saw the Christ child, until you saw the consolation, the Savior, right? So <clears throat> you won't die until that. So this word depart here can mean like, okay, you're about to die, Simeon. But it can also mean released from duty. And there are there are, are, are scholars who argue back and forth over which one it is. I happen to think it's probably both. Because of the context, he's saying, look, I have accomplished what God has sent me here to do. This is the, this is the climax of my life. 
God has called me to do this. He's put my feet to it. This was my task, and now my task is complete. I'm released from my task, and because of that, I'm ready to die. Think about that. So connected to God, so connected to the purpose that God had for him, when his purpose had been achieved, he was like, I'm good. I'm ready to tap out. Here I am, Lord. What a different picture from our culture. Where we hook people up and shove ventilators down their throat and we, I mean, think about that. Think about how in our culture we fight and, and do everything we can to just, to just strangle the last bit of life out of us. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that if it's a loved one. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. What I am saying is our culture is one that runs from death that tries to cling to life. But this guy realized that his life was his purpose. Right? And that when his purpose had been achieved, when he had accomplished all that he was called to do, he was ready. He was like, this is it. Dropping the mic. I've done everything I know you sent me to do, God. What's also interesting about this verse, two things. The word Lord here isn't the normal word for Lord. In fact, it's only used twice in all of the New Testament to talk about God. It's the word despotes, where we get the word despot, which means overlord, ruler, master. And in their culture, and in Greek culture, the master, despotes, this word in the Greek, meant a legal master who had claim over a subject, and the only way that subject could be let go is if the master chose to release them. So these two words, master, lord, as we've got it translated here, and depart are connected. So the master is, he's saying, master, you're the one who controls everything. You're the one who's directed my steps by his Holy Spirit, remember? You're the one who's had my life in your hands. You're the master. You have everything I am. Everything I've ever wanted to be is only in your hands. And so now I'm releasing myself to you completely. And I'm asking for your release because I've achieved my job. And think about that being the only job you had in life. I mean, how unfulfilling is that, for real? What if the climax of your life was to run into a baby to say, Oh, thank you, this is an awesome baby. Bless the baby, give the baby back to the parents and go, That's my life, I'm good. How many of you would be satisfied with that? Do you see, Simeon is so connected with God, even the little task that he had, he saw as the greatest thing he could achieve. Our world says, 
achievement is all of this grandiose stuff. You, you have to do all of this to be great and significant. You have, to, you have to accomplish all of these things to be something of value, someone of worth. And in God's kingdom, it's this lowly servant whose only job is to bless the baby Jesus. And he's okay with that. Now is the other important word here. Now. It's in the position of emphasis. Now is the time. Now I've accomplished everything. This is it, Lord. This is the penultimate. This is what you've called me to do and be. I've followed you. Your spirit has guided me. Here I am. This is it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm checking out. See ya. I mean, that's kind of it, right? And he does it with satisfaction and with grace and with love. And his words then say, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Why? For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And in this blessing, he becomes a prophet. He's saying, not only have I experienced the salvation that you sent, God, the one that you sent to change the world, not just the Israelites, but all of the world, and I got to see it. What if we were that excited about Jesus? What if we were that excited about our faith, about what he was calling us to do, about reflecting his love? What if we were that passionate Verse 33, and his father and his mother, his being Jesus, so Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about him. They were like, wait, what? He's, he's the consolation? He's the salvation? I mean, we kind of got that from the angel, but you're telling me it's not just for the Israelites? I mean, understand they didn't this point. This is the first time that someone in the story of Jesus himself speaks that he is for all nations and all people, that he is a light to the Gentiles. This is mind-blowing. This is radical world-changing. This is something they never would have seen coming. They never would have understood. And so his father and his mother are like, whoa, what? Wait, wait, what did you just say? He's the Savior for not just us, but those people? Yeah. So Simeon lives his whole life seeking out this one moment, led by the Spirit, and he comes to it, and he speaks truth over the child. And he says in his words, this is what God's come to do. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So in this, in his revelation, in both the blessing to God and the blessing over Mary and the child and the father, he reveals two 
of the most important things about the Lucan narrative of Jesus' ministry. One, that it was for all people, that it was not just for the Israelites, that it was universal and God was, was moving over the whole earth. He was moving out of the temple and into the world. He was moving not just to the Israelites, but to the whole world. That's the first thing that was revealed here, and it's a major theme throughout all of Luke. And then the second thing that is revealed in his message here is that Jesus causes people to stumble, that he is divisive in that you're either on one side or the other, and that many will fall because of it, and that there will be conflict. And all throughout Luke, tension builds and there's conflict. It's a beautifully written narrative. And these two themes come from Simeon, this simple man. And I would submit to you then that Simeon becomes, he becomes the penultimate version of what it means to be a Christ follower. He is the prime exemplar of what it means to follow Christ. And that's what this little pericope, this little small 10 verses is there to show us. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So, in summation, let's go back over it. It means that we are meant to be connected to God in a deep, deep personal way. He's not a far-off God. He's not a God that's not interested in the minutia of your life. He wants to be intimately involved in your life. The second thing that we learn from Simeon is that you have to be so connected in relationship to this God that you sense where he's moving and you listen to what he's telling you to do, that you have such a deep connection that the Holy Spirit moves you. How many times was the Holy Spirit mentioned? Three times, which is the number of perfection, the number of trinity. It means to be completely connected. He was completely connected to God. And you have to then also, we learn from Simeon as a Christ follower, be willing to do whatever menial task he's asking you to do. And it doesn't have to be great to be significant. It doesn't have to be just, you know, whoa, look at this, whoa, to be world-changing. It can be one simple thing that God is calling you to that will radically change someone else's life. And you just don't know what it is. And the only way we can hear it is if we create space and are intimately connected to God and allow His Spirit to speak through us. And be okay with even a small task. The other thing we learn from Simeon here, guys. The other thing we learn from Simeon here. Is that we understand God's will is greater than ours. God's way is greater than our way. And the last thing. is we have to be willing to receive him. I love that beautiful picture of Simeon encountering the baby. I can almost picture the way he looked as he saw the baby. And the mom saw him. 
and didn't think, creeper man looking at my baby, stranger danger, but instead realized there was something deep there. And he reaches out and receives Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. Not just one time, but every day. Jesus, I receive you. When I go home today, when we pull into our driveway, our ring doorbell will go off. And it'll say, motion detected at the front door. And while she is saying that over the Alexa devices in there, there's going to be a little dog that goes crazy. And as we turn into, as Alexa's going off and we turn into, the, into our, our driveway and we pull up, we're going to see this little, this little fluffy nugget, man. You know, I have thought about shaving his head and making it a toupee for me, but I think that would just look odd. We'll look in the window and all of a sudden you'll see this. And there'll be these big, human, almost-like eyes looking out, and he'll be like, oh, they're home. Oh. This is Lincoln's voice, by the way. Oh, Mom and Dad are home. All right, yeah, this is awesome. And then he is going to, we're going to pull up, and as we get even with the house, you're going to see him bolt from the window, and he's going to run out, and as the garage door is opening, he's going to be squeezing out and running up, and he's going to hurt our car into the, into the garage. He gets behind the left wheel and he herds us into the garage. And then we open the door and he jumps up on you. What if we were that crazy and excited about our master? I hope this message was meaningful and powerful to you. But I also hope that it was challenging. And as always, don't just hear it. Put it into action. Until next week, have a great one.